gonna keep going with it i think just keep keep it rocking the whole time wait a second wait a second you didn't say oh yes no i know because i get really excited i like this song welcome into crossing broadcast here on 610 espn philadelphia oh yes oh yes listen nhl deadline day we just broke it down on snow the goalie the only flyers radio show on 610 espn philadelphia and uh we're back because there, there's a lot going on in Philadelphia. The Phillies are back on the field, which I actually found exciting. The Sixers are an abject disaster. Ben Simmons out indefinitely now. Flyers are hot. The Eagles are not happening. And the Philadelphia Fusion, they had a really good showing at the Met. So that's exciting. That's right. Let's get to your number one correspondent in all things eSports, Kevin Kincaid. <laughs> Find him on Twitter at Kevin underscore Kincaid. This is, what I, this is what I came back for this week. I missed last week uh, on vacation, and this is what I was missing while, uh, while I was down there. Yeah. Bob yeah. and I did a full hour on Phillies baseball. Did you really? We, we really did. Was it good? I think it was solid. Yeah? Yeah. 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 Well, if they hit the Bob ball, Bob was though, so fatigued by it that he's not here this week. <laughs> he had to take a week off. He's down at what? The a South Jersey uh, baseball coaches meeting, I think. Yeah, For those who don't know, of course, Bob is the reigning, defending, <laughs> undisputed <laughs> South Jersey baseball coach of the year. If they hit the ball uh, the way they did today, they'll go, they'll be uh, world champions again this year. They had three home runs in one inning today. Although it doesn't mean anything, it's just preseason. So let's not get ahead of ourselves here. That's good. It's nice to have uh, Phillies baseball back on the TV, is it not? Good it's like base. fifty. It's like fifty-five degrees today, man. It's no Cape Carl, which is where I was last week, but. We'll take it. The Phillies are on TV, unlike the Philadelphia Union, who still don't have a TV deal. That's exciting. Yeah. Speaking of baseball, Mr. Baseball himself, Anthony Sanfilippo. Find him on Twitter at Philly. I will admit right now to the two of you, I didn't listen to last week's show. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. I, you know. I wasn't feeling well, and I kind of forgot about it, and... I mean, I only listen. I listened to the hockey one because we had a special guest on, but I completely forgot. I'm like, oh, I'll get to. We had a special guest. I'll get to. On. I'll get to mm. crossing we broadcasts eventually during on. the week, and then I completely forgot. Anthony texts. Anthony texts Russ mere hours before going on air and says, "I feel like death. We should cancel the show." Rust goes out and gets Colby Cohen of NBC Sports Philadelphia, who comes in studio and hosts a lovely hour of Snow the Goalie. We ha- get out of here. All right, so the You're Phillies always hustling, man. We appreciate it. So the, the Phillies, I. I do want to get a, a few initial thoughts out of the way here. Um, there was a, a thing going around, I think it was in our Slack chat this morning, and, I, and Lennox asked about it on the other side of the glass earlier. Um, by June, does Odubel Herrera play a single inning for the Phillies, or is he playing elsewhere? I'll go to you first, Anthony, because he he's, of course, like this is going to surround the team throughout spring training. Will Odubel Herrera be on this team at any point this season? No. I think it's pretty cut and dry. I mean, I think that the Phillies have done anything and everything in their power to disassociate themselves as much as they can from him. And they're really just kind of, you know, hoping that he, you know, gives them a reason to just get to just cut him like that. He doesn't have a good spring training or um, starts the year in the minors and hits like 205 or something like whatever and then they can say it's for a baseball reason they have no interest in him being 
part of the organization. Um, if they, I mean, he's obviously a major league caliber player, and he's in minor league camp. So that tells you all you need to know about what the organization feels about that situation. Is Odubel's situation anywhere close to a Michael Vick in terms of fans and their response and how they react to it? Is it a Nigel Bradham where they just kind of whatever? I, I don't know. I mean, how do you like? Do you, do you think there's? Uh, I mean, if if he was a different trying to trying to think, you know, if obviously Nigel Bradham was the best linebacker the Eagles had at the time, and Vic was coming in here to compete to be the starting quarterback for the Eagles, you know, Odubel is not exactly. A, wouldn't be like Mike Trout getting himself arrested, you know, on Independence Day. But, I mean, where where, where do you think the fan base is with uh, the transgression and uh, where he has gotten to at this point? I, like, are they drawing? Are there people drawing a line saying we don't no, care? We I, don't. We just we don't want him look, back. At I, all. I think that there's. I think we're in a culture today where there's going to be people who, you know, will. Stand, you know, die on that hill that you know domestic violence is an issue in yeah, yeah. in professional sports, and you know if you employ somebody on that team, I mean, look at all the people who wouldn't root for the Kansas City Chiefs because yeah. they had multiple domestic violence, you know, mm-hmm. players on their team. So there are going to be people who are going to do that. Now, do I think that you're you're talking, you know, we're we're going to you know, this. Great, great swath of fans are going to boycott the Phillies if Odubel Herrera plays. No, <laughs> it's not going to be the case. No. So I don't, I don't think that the fans. But I think that the the team worries about that image, probably more so than they should. Yeah. In all honesty, because yeah. if if you're asking me, what outfielder that's currently in the Phillies organization somewhere gives them the best chance of winning playing center field? I I could make a good argument that Odubel Herrera is that guy. Can I just make a point about I was watching the broadcast today, and uh, I wasn't really pro Gabe Kapler or anti Gabe Kapler. I was like a Gabe Kapler neutral, uh-huh. like a Gabe Kapler fence sitter, yep. if you will. But they had Joe Girardi sitting down there, uh, via the headset on, and they were talking to him from the booth. You know, whatever, it's just a preseason, it's a spring training game, whatever. It's not like he has to pay too much attention to what's going on. But he's just sitting there talking to him about the game in, like, plain English. Mm-hmm. Like, relatability. It's, it's just a- talking in terms I can understand. Like, I think after listening to two years of Gabe Kapler and being down at the Sixers all the time and listening to Brett Brown speak in, like, metaphors and, you know, uh, cliches, parables and stuff like that, you know, it's like – not that there's anything wrong. Like I, I, I don't. I think that you know Brett, Brett and Gabe Cabo are both like good dudes, and appreciate that that they take the time and you know actually answer questions instead of just blowing the media off. But I mean, there's just something about Girardi, which is like just very plainly spoken, where it's very easily understood, and it's just like a nice change of it's scenery for or something. That you know? is important in this town. Yeah, it might not be important in San Francisco. It might not be important. In Arizona, it might not be important in Miami, but in Philadelphia, it matters that you yeah, that yeah. you got some personality that you know that relates to the fans. Can I do a take on top of a take? Sure. Because uh, you know, I had a, I did a fifty hot takes column for the website today. Oh, we're gonna get there, and we'll get there. Yeah, I don't want to tease it too much. You have to get you have to wait for that. But uh, 
Talk about like Philly being a you know the cliche about the blue collar, hardworking, blah 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 town and whatever. I actually argue with the, that we're not that at all, right? But to me, how what does that mean? Like in twenty twenty, you know, it's not like you know, it's, you're, it's, it's certainly not like you're carrying your lunch. The you know the cliche of like carrying your lunch pail to work and putting your hard hat on or whatever. Okay, like that that's that's how it was. You know, the, the image we created in the eighties, nineties, you know, the whatever as that that saying was coming along. But to me what it means to be a blue collar hard working lunch pail whatever the hell you know it's like that mean that's what joe girardi is right it means speaking plainly it means don't bs me it right. means just talk to me in a in a way that i can understand it you know because i think like people are smart enough you say a lot of things about philly sports fans but they're smart enough to know when somebody's you know taking them for a ride you know speak to me in terms i can understand you know don't try to beat around the bush and just be honest about it you know and like I just see that in Girardi, he just comes off as a dude who's like, I don't know, gen- genuine or something like that, sincere. Yeah. I don't, yeah, I mean, to me, that's how it's manifested, you know. Yeah, I mean, look, some guys are better at that than others, right? And and think about it. I mean, think about what Charlie Manuel had to deal with when he first got here. Like, yeah, yeah. I, like it was like he was too hated. Much. It was like too much of that. Yeah, it he was, was like, hated yeah, because yeah. He, everybody thought he was stupid. Yeah. Right? I mean, he did because of the way he talked. Yeah. Right? But then the team started to win, and you started to realize that this guy's actually not a terrible manager. That he's more of what we – he's actually is what we wanted him yeah. to be. We just went too far in the other direction. Right. You know, if, if, I'm, if the one end of the spectrum is Gabe Kapler and the other far end of the spectrum is Charlie Manuel in the early years, yeah. then Joe Girardi and his delivery and the way he seems to you know talk to people is uh, – Sort of right in the middle. I right. thought what was interesting too in his introductory press conference when they were asking him like about the media and the media asking him about the media, right? <laughs> um, oh, I should make fun of that because I asked Brett Brown about that at one as his like preseason luncheon. Kevin, and it, it and is it, returned, a, it is a it great question, and I know you know fight. the answer to it, but I. <laughs> but I hear, I I hear you. I, yeah. I, I hear you. I hear you. And I'm going to do my best to make sure that I give you an accurate response. But Girardi said, like, when I was in New York, I didn't really realize how competitive it was between different outlets. Yeah, which is which is interesting. Well, most, used to most be. of them don't realize that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not just like you know you're scrapping for a story or you're trying to do a decent job wow. or whatever. Like you're also like you know there's there's tension. I mean, like you're, the people who are there with you, like other media members are are technically like your colleagues, but they're also your competitors at the yeah. same time. So it's like a weird, it's not like uh, it used you know. it's not like it used to be though. Yeah. But for him, for a manager, a baseball manager to kind of like realize that and understand that yeah. I don't think most of them sort of think in those kinds of terms, like look at it from the other side, you know, but I, I mean, to wrap that whole thing up, like I was just like impressed with the way he just sort of like says things plainly and delivers things. And it just seems to be so much more of a fit than yes. Than what what Gabe was. You yeah, know? You're, you're not wrong. You go out there and you watch his first San Francisco press conference. They're like hammering him on the L.A. Dodgers thing, and it's like I'm watching like it feels like I'm watching like MSNBC or something like that. Well, yeah. that's the thing is like Gabe Gabe kind of talks like a guy who's in grad school, right? Who's in grad school and is trying to talk to his friends as if he's intelligent, mm. right? He goes with this like highfalutin kind of grammar. He goes with his his beautiful word structure. He tries to paint a portrait, and at some point, it's just kind of like, dude. Just, just be real for a second. Well, you, you get know? to some point with him and with Brett too, where you kind of come back and you're like, "Wait, what the heck was the question? And what, what is he actually talking about here?" Brett does it in a way where he kind of like just convolutes it to the point where like, did he even really answer the the question? And he does it in a polite way where he's like, "You know, I don't want to get into too much coach speak, or I don't want to get too 
deep into it. And he presents it in a way as like he's doing you a favor because he doesn't want to confuse anybody. But that's just Which him is, saying, I don't want to give away any secrets. Yeah. And I'm like, I get like, can you give us more X's and O's? Like, that's this is the, part of the, yeah. the thing with him building equity like he did with the fan base, with the media through some dreadful years, though. Like he's I kind mean, of it's he's, true. he's it's built true. he's built himself quite the buffer, and so I th- that's part of why he gets away with it. Whereas Gabe came in, and the first you know first thing was about coconut oil. The second thing was about <laughs> his blog. The third thing was about yeah, tanning yeah. different parts you wouldn't think. Well, that's you know and, who in the media making sure to ask you know ask and, the not important questions. But. And so he came in, I think, right off the bat with you know behind the eight ball. Because it, the, the weird thing I thought when Gabe was hired was it wasn't as if there were multiple exceptional managers available at the time that hadn't theoretically worn out their welcome elsewhere. Um, you look at this one and, and like the hiring of Girardi, I think just on, on a sense of, of being a more real kind of guy and being more direct in his language, he also brings clout because he's, he's gotten to the pinnacle of the sport. Yeah, and he beat the Phillies to do it, you know? So it's like it's all built in. What um, Did you guys get bent out of shape as much as some other people did when you saw the Fanatic changes, the new Philly Fanatic? Woof. I was not a fan. I don't get the blue, like the blue. So, well, the well, light blue. So first of all, I mean, well, I mean, you got to remember the initial, I guess it kind of ties into the 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 powder blue yeah. uniforms, whatever. Um, and he did have colored feathers in his tail previously yeah, yes i mean not as prominently displayed as it currently is but yeah, yeah. It, 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 he did have it here's where i have a problem with the whole thing like if you're the phillies just just pay these just people pay. off man <laughs> just pay them off make them go away <laughs> like what what are they going to do with with know, their with with their they can't market the mascot somewhere else so the, obviously, all they're looking for is money, really. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. what else could they do with it? In all honesty, well, what yeah, else could they, they do t- with the if fanatic? They t- if they take the f- fanatic back and say, "All right, thirty-five years later, we have our creation back," now now what? Now what? What do they do with it? They do nothing with it, right? <laughs> so yeah, so, so their their yeah. game their lawyers their game plan is yeah. well, let's get as much money as we can out of this. Yeah. So if you're the Phillies, just you pay it, you pay that money. And then you, because you're going to make it back on marketing the fanatic. You how many how many times do you sell those little fanatic head things to the kids, or the little fanatic dolls, or fanatic bobbleheads? Yeah, fanatic, yeah. they make so much money off of the mascot that it'll pay for itself. In it, the, yeah, yeah, just pay it off, man. So, what the other alternative is to just say, okay, you can have it. But I mean, do we think the negatives of losing the fanatic would outweigh whatever? Yes. Yeah, yeah, because it's yeah. just. Thirty-five years late, you know, forty years later, it's yeah. as much a part of the team culture as anything. Correct, yeah. correct. Yeah. I mean, you got to remember. I mean, there were. I mean, you guys, you guys, neither of you would remember because I don't think either of you were born. There was a mask. There were mascots before the fanatic. Well, aren't they two like like a baseball of man and woman cartoon characters? They were two um, Revolutionary War figures. Yeah, like on, yeah. The, like, like on the classic logo, Phil and Phyllis. They, yeah. Phil and Phyllis, right? right yeah, right, and right, and yeah. they used to be. They used to walk around the the ballpark, yeah. but they also had a um, cannon in center field. And what would happen was, that anytime someone would hit a home run, the the Phil and Phyllis would light the cannon, fire off a cannon, and these waterfalls. Uh, would shoot up out from behind the center field wall, mm-hmm. 
like like the just kind of celebratory water spouts out in center field. That was the Phillies mascots yeah. prior to the Fanatic. So I think they should bring back a, a cannon. They should make a water cannon. And if Odubel Herrera gets to play a game, they should let fans go pay an Ashburn Alley to fire it at. But I mean, my, my point is, is that you don't hear people saying, oh, bring back Phil and Phyllis. And I think it's because Phil and Phyllis were just a thing in the 70s, whereas the Fanatic is an institution now. Can, you, I, can well, I be the, honest what I thought when I saw the design? My first thought was, you might get this because your wife watches a lot of uh, reality shows. Yeah. I thought it looked like the Phillies consulted with RuPaul on <laughs> on how to design the Fanatic. You know, it's interesting. I'm like partially colorblind and like I have a lot of trouble when you put uh, like t- two shades that look very similar to another when, to one another when you put them close together. Um, and so like a baseline for me is that if I think something looks ugly as a color, like a partially colorblind person, it probably is pretty ugly. And like just the green and the blue just looks like it clashes so bad to me. And like what's with the little, the little scales, that's scales, like under the arm, that whole thing. I didn't like, I understand you had to make changes. It feels like they just kind of like stuck different things on different places. (laughs) Yeah. Didn't really, didn't really, it was like, it's like your toddler playing with Mr. Potato head. Yeah. I didn't, I don't, it's like the eyes are all like disjointed and like the ear is upside down. Yeah. The scales are a problem, a real problem to me because it's like, what are you, what are you going for? Is he a there? dragon? Yeah, what is he? <laughs> I mean, like, like what, what are you going with there? A and Galapagos the whole thing, lizard. like he had, yeah. ha- he used to have hands. Yeah. Now he doesn't even. Now he's got gloved There's hands. Yeah, this, yeah. But they're inside, like the wings, paws. Well, they short and they shorten the snout too. What, what eh. was the point of that? I guess they just that said, was that was a proportion <laughs> issue that they had. In and the he's not as design. he's not as they said he got to shorten it. All right. He's not as fat as he used to be. Whoa, whoa, hey. Don't you body shame the Philly fanatic? I said he's not as fat. He's no, he's giving him credit. You're saying yeah, that he was fat. He was he was respectably rotund. He was pleasantly plump. How do you think? How do you think that that? Don't body shame the how fanatic. Do you th- how do you think that stomach move is going to work now? I don't know. Hey, Gritty's going to have the better stomach move. Gritty's already a better mascot. Let's just say oh it right God. now. This redesigned version of the Fanatic, Gritty is a superior Lennox, turn mascot. Off, turn off his mic. The real question is whether <laughs> the Fanatic will punch a 13-year-old in the back <laughs> at a photo op. Allegedly. For season ticket holder. <laughs> allegedly. That's allegedly. I'm sorry. I just don't get, like, the Velcro shoes. All right, fine. Like, that, that's, like that's sho- not a non-starter. Yeah, like, like the, people losing their mind about that. The shoes are not as big strange. a deal. The shoes are not as big a I deal. I just don't get, like... What do you think is going to be the bigger complaint by the baseball purists at the ballpark this year? Will it be the new fanatic look, or will it be the extended netting? The fanatic. The fanatic. Because they won't realize the netting's there after a while. Does this also, uh, really quick, does this also affect like all of the fanatics' family members who come out like to the to the family reunions? They they have to fundamentally re- redesign all of them, right? They have to. I guess because there's like what six, seven different Philly fanatic characters, like the mom and yeah. The sister or whatever like did we ever do the netting discussion on this show before i don't think I don't we think did so. do you, does it matter at all to either one of you guys no the extended netting with the green whatever no so you're not like uh you're not of the mindset of people should just pay attention well yeah i mean yeah. well i mean i i do think people should pay attention but at the same time safety is important right yeah. so yeah. i mean it doesn't it doesn't bother me that the netting is there my thing with the with the almora play with the little girl who got hit in the head which kind of spurred the whole thing was that you could be sitting there you could be paying attention 
you know? But yeah. these guys are cracking the ball 100 miles off the bat. Yeah. And maybe you get your hand up at the right time. Maybe it takes like a – the ball hits off a seat and deflects. And you could be, you could be as prepared as possible. You could be like – uh, golden Glove winner, mm-hmm. you know, sitting in the stands with your kid, and you could be ready for it, and you could still, there still could be an accident. No, yeah, know? no, I, I'm, I have no problem. Because so like the people, the people who say like, well, it's about personal responsibility, you got to pay attention. Like, you look at any number of like old white dudes who are sitting like at any spot in the ballpark, and they're not paying attention. They're talking to the person next to them. They're on their phone too. So, like, my perspective on that was always like. If I got to, like, affect my sight line just a little bit to – if that helps, you know, maybe a 10-year-old girl not get cracked in the head with a foul ball, no. then that's – I'm fine making that sacrifice. And, and you're, not, you're really not sacrificing much at all, in all honesty. Those, I've never sat behind an extended net before, so I don't know what it looks well, like. Well, I mean, just looking through it. I mean, like, you notice it as soon as you sit down, but then after, like, five minutes, you don't even notice it anymore. Yeah, so how about the other complaint Then they say, well – you know, like what if I want to get a foul ball or something like that? Well, that's well, maybe the the ball boy or the ball girl just hands it to you through the thing. Yeah, well, you can still or get you them. You can go. You can go with what's his face? What's the who's the ball you shagger? Can, you can still get them. You just can't get them off of a hundred mile an hour line drive. Yeah, you, you got to get them on a pop up. Still hit it over the thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's here's that's a hot take. <laughs> Since you made this a lead to our hot takes, <laughs> okay. sure. if you can't defend yourself from a ball, you shouldn't be allowed to go to the game. That's children. That's the elderly. Just don't let them go. Cut his cut. Cut the mic. I, no, I heard that take realistically from some like that's, hardcore that's what, like yeah. wannabe dudes. Yes, yeah, and, and why, it was yeah. like, and it was it was it's straight up nonsense. You, you it's like so we're, you know, like, we're, we're gonna insane. put we're gonna put like the five year old kids up in like you know the nosebleeds because because we want to protect them. You know, but uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't. It seemed like it was a big deal at the time. I, I think it's just more like a symbolic thing where people were like offended that like another thing about the game that they love was being changed. And at the end of the day, like I really don't think it matters um, that much. Do you want to talk about the Ben Simmons nonsense at all, or, or do you want to just? I think we should because Anthony's got to go halfway through the show. I think the second yeah. half we get. So I mean, look, back injury. We don't know the extent of the back injury. Conspiracy theory that he was from the fall and the all that he took in the All Star game. Brett Brown said he went up for a rebound in practice, came down awkwardly. Here, here's my gripe. My gripe about it, without knowing like actually what the heck actually happened here. Like, you know, if you went into the Milwaukee game knowing that he was going to need treatment, bet- you know, between shifts, like when he came off the floor during timeouts or stuff like that, then I don't think he should have risked that in the first place. And I understand that players want to have a say in their health and whether they play or whether they don't play, their management, their minutes, and you want to respect that. You want to make it a two-way street. You know, it's it's like Joel Embiid, we had the problem with him last year and the year before. I, I wouldn't even call it a problem. It was just kind of the evolution of, like, they wanted to manage him. They wanted to bring him along slowly. They wanted to, like, you know, nurture him through his, his various issues. And he always said, look, I want to be able to have a say in this. You know, like, if I feel good and I feel like I can play, you know, 36 minutes, I want to say to the coach, hey, leave me in. I feel okay. You know, that manifested itself in different ways. He played three overtimes against Oklahoma City, and then he had to miss three, like, three games afterwards, you know. Um, You know, so I assume Ben Simmons, who's a competitor, probably, you know, wanted to play in Milwaukee and wanted to, you know, give it a go. He's a guy who rarely misses games. He always plays his butt off. He's playing, like, 38, 40 minutes a game. So I don't don't have any doubt that he said, look, I I feel okay. I want to try to do it this way. But I I think you got to err on the side of, like, you know, you, you got to know what's what's best. Sometimes the individual athlete doesn't know what's best for themselves, you know, and you want to trust them and you want to involve them in the process. You want to make it a two-way thing, but you just got to say, look, Ben, we, we don't, we're not 
favored in this game anyway. If you're not feeling 100%, we're going to sit you out. We're not going to risk anything. You know, you don't have to do it right away. So, I don't know. It, it just feels like another thing in the world of the Sixers that was preventable. I don't know if that's a fair take, not knowing all the facts, but that's what it seems like to me. But, uh, you know, again, too, they get bit in the opt in the optics department, too, because Ben comes back from the All-Star game, and he's, like, got a you know back injury. And then people are thinking, well, it happened in the All-Star game. Or, you know, then they throw out this conspiracy theory about a jet ski f- thing or whatever, and that just spirals, oh, good. spirals I love, downhill from there. I love <laughs> former number one overall picks that go on to uh, vehicles and lie about it and get hurt. Just, mm-hmm. just swell. I was looking because they're um, – Ben Simmons' sister, uh, Liv, tweeted about how this is real life and, and kind of went after fans who have been, I don't know if they were going after Ben for being out. And, and like, of course, you get the people who say, like, play through the pain. You're a professional athlete. You're getting paid millions. Like, give him a shot of cortisone. Like, get back out there. Ben Simmons is not the guy to say that to. He's nope. barely missed, like, any time ever. He's yeah. been an absolute Iron Man for the team. Yeah, he's They're screwed the without him. I mean, no, if we're being honest. And this is, I think, something we'll get to after the break. This Sixers team without Ben Simmons is lost without a paddle. Um, This is a team that fundamentally has a multitude of issues in, in initiating their offense, but even more so, this is a team that when Ben Simmons is out still features multiple players on max or almost max contracts. They've got 60 or no, 72 million. Tied up into two players in Tobias Harris and Al Horford, who combined for, I think them and Richardson combined was $76 million. They They combined for 23 points uh, yeah. in the Milwaukee game. That's not getting value. No. It again comes back to roster construction. There are a bunch of things that are wrong with this team. I want to get into it on the other side. I want to talk to you briefly about our friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook. So much going on this week. Get in on the action with DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. With so much going on this week, they've got great promotions running every day from odds boosts to free bets. They have it all. Plus, they've got an amazing sign-up bonus going. So if if you're looking to bet with another book, get in on DraftKings Sportsbook now. Plus, they're safe and secure. They're based here in the U.S. You don't have to be worried about your money. It's not some shady operation where you feel weird about placing your bet or even weirder about trying to get your money back out. Nay, nay. They're based here in the USA. To top it all off, DraftKings Sportsbook is offering their best sign-up offer to date right now, and you won't want to miss it. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app right now and use our promo code CROSSINGBROAD when you sign up. For a limited time, all new users can get a sign-up bonus of $1,000. That's right, DraftKings Sportsbook is going all out with a sign-up bonus of up to $1,000. Don't forget promo code CROSSINGBROAD and get your sign-up bonus of up to $1,000. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Pennsylvania only, in partnership with Meadows Racetrack and Casino. Bonus comprised of a first deposit bonus and a first bet match, each up to $500. Deposit bonus requires 25-time playthrough. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. So, Kevin, you're down with this team. I want to get into the Sixers. Because last week we did a lot of Phillies. We led the show with some Phillies. But I want to get into the nitty-gritty of this Sixers team. And what you see down there, because I think one of the nice things about this show is you're down there with the Sixers, Anthony and I are down there with the Flyers, Bob's always down with the Phillies. Give people a look behind the curtain, because from an outside view, it would look as though this is a team that doesn't appear even remotely cohesive on the floor. Is there anything that you see either at practice or that you've heard around the team 
that makes you think that there is a lack of cohesion off the floor? No. No, I mean, I think they all get along. I think they all like each other. Um, you know, I think the Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid thing is a little over overstated, overworked. It's not like they're, uh, you know, hanging out at each other's place every other weekend, you know, ordering uh, – you know, ordering pizza or whatever, um, but I, it's just a, it's a it's a on it's an on the floor thing more than anything. Yeah, I mean you got to take a step back and remember what Brett Brown is. Brett Brown is a pace and space coach. That is his offensive philosophy. That's what he wants to do. Uh, that is what he has always wanted to do. The pass is king, according to him. You know they passed the ball last year and the year before almost you know as, almost as much as the Golden State Warriors did. So. Your pace and space guy, the key cog to that is Ben Simmons. You don't have him. You know, J.J. Redick could play pace and space. Robert Covington could spot up and shoot three points. Dario Sarge could could stand in the corner and shoot threes. So they, they don't have anybody remaining on this team who can play pace and space. So a couple weeks ago, right before Joel Embiid uh, dislocated his finger, Brett Brown says, hey, this isn't working. You know, I, I can't play pace and space with this roster. So we're going to slow it down. We're going to call up some more plays. He doesn't like calling plays at all. He prefers organic basketball, kind of like Jay Wright in that regard, where they just kind of they prefer concepts um, and scheme more more than you know static play calls and stuff like that. And the Sixers get it going for a little bit with Ben Simmons running the show with with Joel Embiid missing, but now you don't have that. So what is Brett Brown coaching tonight? Uh, you still have a superstar in Joel Embiid. To your point, you still have Tobias Harris who's going to play tonight. You have Al Horford. You got Josh Richardson. You got enough firepower to beat the Hawks at home, to beat the Knicks at home, and to beat the Cavs on the road back to, on a back to back. But you got to play play through Joel Embiid, and uh, you know let him do his thing in the post. And then when he comes off, let Josh Richardson handle the ball. Let him run pick and roll. Let Tobias Harris run pick and roll. Let Al Horford screen. You know, let uh, Alec Burks and and Glenn Robinson do it. You know, you're gonna have to. He's gonna kind of have to like do what he doesn't want to do. You know, pick and roll ball. Play through the post of Joel Embiid. Uh, and use your superior talent defensively to kind of stifle these teams. It's not going to be amazing and pretty, but, I mean, they still got the talent to do it. It's just, you know, th- this this week's fine. This week is okay. They can go 3-0 and this week, and they're probably going to lose at they, Los Angeles and at Los Angeles. They better go 3-0 this week. And then, you know, you should you, you could probably beat Sacramento on the road, and you should beat Golden State on the road. I, I don't see, like, why they can't go 5-3, and three, or, or, I'm sorry, 5-2. Uh, five and, five and two. Or even you know, or four and three over the next seven, yeah. And then maybe see what's up with with Ben then. But yeah, to me, it's to me, it's more a, a philosophic than anything, philosophical than anything. I think it just comes down to Elton Brand kind of built a team of a team of trees for a coach that wants to move the ball and pass the ball. The issue that I guess I have is when you look at the standings right now, the Sixers are a game and a half behind the Heat for fourth in the East. The disparity between this team at home and on the road is the most exaggerated of any team in the league. 26-2 and two at home, 9-20 and 20 on the road. Miami smacked the taste out of the Sixers' mouth in the last game, last two. This Miami team is no slouch at home either, 23-3. and three. They've only lost one more game at home than the Sixers have. And they're a better, albeit not that much better, road team um, with four more wins, three fewer losses. I guess what I'm looking at here, and and the reason that I feel down on this team, where I I had been not quite in the Hope Springs Eternal when they came out of the break and and looked pretty solid against Brooklyn, I I look at this and I think this team needs home court advantage of of some sort. 
in order for them to to get to the conference final. Like to me, this season, macro perspective, it was at least get to a conference final, go toe to toe with Milwaukee, and and I thought at least early in the season that this team could challenge Milwaukee. I, I Milwaukee, oddly enough, despite the fact that the Sixers have now lost consecutive games to them, Milwaukee doesn't scare me the way that I think they should. I, I still think that they're a bad matchup for Giannis. I still think that Giannis is not going to be a reliable shooter from deep. I mean, he hit one. He had a three early in the in this last game. But then he didn't really go back to that well all that much the remainder of the game. You can leave him wide open for a mid-range J, and he doesn't seem to want to take it. You've seen the way that, that teams like Boston have managed to wall him off in the past to keep him out of the paint. And when they do that, he's not as effective of a player. Like, Milwaukee doesn't scare me all that much. I'm more worried about, all right, let's say you end up in the four seed. And you have to take on Miami. You get past them. Well, then you have to... You have to go and take Milwaukee on in the second round, which is going to be tough. And we don't know what the extent of Ben Simmons' injury is. We hope that it's not a long-term injury. We certainly hope that it's not something he could tweak again in the postseason. And let's say you get past them. Then you've got either Toronto, which is a bad matchup, or this Boston team that, while you've had success against them this season, they historically have been a thorn in your side. Yeah, I just don't. I I mean, like, it's all regular season, though. Like, who gives a crap about the regular season? This— entire season was just a slog to get back to the playoffs and see what they could do in the playoffs. And, like, look, bottom line is if Ben Simmons is healthy for the playoffs and you're, the effort level, the intensity of playoff basketball is always ratcheted up more than any regular season game, this team still, their offensive troubles aside, can defend and rebound with the best teams in the NBA. And, like, that's going to be good enough to keep to make them competitive in all these games, you know? I mean, I don't think they lost to Milwaukee the last two times because of their defense. Like, I think offensively, they're just not – they don't they don't have the firepower to, to hang with Milwaukee on their, their home floor in the regular season. But I could see them going up there – a healthy Sixers team. I could see them going up there and stealing a game the way they did in Toronto last year. I don't know, man. I'm just – I guess I'm just not as down on this team as everybody else because if, if, you, if you look at it on paper, they're kind of built – for the playoffs they they still are built for the playoffs. which is something that we so, talked about in the offseason and then yeah. early in this show i don't know two months ago the concern was that al horford looked terrible against Giannis the other night well, but, I, but i still you know so if you're going with that idea well they're built to, to beat milwaukee and boston now i you know i don't know but I mean, al horford not, has looked pretty terrible against just about everyone yeah i mean he just there's a play the other night where he was parked right right underneath the the nail and and Giannis just kind of went right by him with with no resistance and yeah, I mean they got a lot of problems, but I mean like six, Sixers Twitter tends to like just over dramatize everything good or bad. It just feels like we've been on this roller coaster. But look, man, you got an easy schedule this week. We'll see what happens next week. We'll see what the diagnosis is on Ben. But whatever, man, if you can get into get into the playoffs as a four or five, I mean, if you can get into the playoffs as a four, it'd be amazing considering where they are right now. But I guess it's the pro- part of the problem is that like Indiana is clipping at your heels, and if you're not careful, it it is. It is conceivable that you could fall into the sixth seed. Well, who cares? Would you rather go? Would you rather go six three against a Boston or a Miami, and then get Toronto in the second round, or would you rather go four five with like you know Indy or Indy or Miami or something, and then play the Bucks in round two? I mean, I, I 
I, I don't I don't know. Depending on what the injury situation looks like. Like imagine you lose a bunch of games, but then Ben comes back healthy for the playoffs, and you wouldn't have to play Milwaukee until the finals, or, or to the Eastern Conference Finals, and maybe you'd rather have it that way. But I don't know, man. This team wears me out. I look at what this team managed to do, and and I think this is maybe like one of the other concerning trends. You look at Tobias Harris and the and the way that he is just so underperformed from deep since his acquisition prior to last year's trade deadline. And I look at a guy like Al Horford who it always felt like hit the big shot against this team from deep and looks like he's he's just lost. Um, when you talk about like NBA advanced stats, 38.9% of Al Horford's shots this season have come in what the NBA categorizes as wide open which is the nearest defender is six or more feet away. Yep. Including 3.2 three-point attempts. He's shooting 33% from deep in those situations. And he's shot more three-pointers this year through 50-whatever games and than, than, he did, than he did in 60 entire games with 62 or something with Boston last year. And here's the even more troubling stats. So let's just let's open up the sample size a little bit more. Overall, when his nearest defender is six or more feet away, he's shooting only 37% from the field. Those are numbers that are not in line with the player that you thought you were getting. Tobias Harris, in a similar way, gets 2.2 three-point attempts with defenders in that range as well. And I guess on the flip side, on a positive here, he's shooting 40% from deep on those shots. They're starting uh starting lineup just came out. They're starting to Horford tonight. Woohoo. Shake Milton, Josh Richardson, Tobias Harris, Al Horford, and Joel Embiid. And I'm reeks of a little bit of desperation. Oh God. Yeah. I mean, where is the offense come? Well I don't know. I thought they'd I thought they'd go with Neto again because they they played him, started him against Brooklyn. And uh, I know I know Brooklyn's not the best defensive team, actually one of the worst defensive teams, really. And they, it's not like they have much of an interior presence, but Shake Mill and Josh Richardson. Yeah, I mean, I guess I try to try to slow down Trey Young by doing that. But I mean, Horford and Embiid on the floor together is just, you know, I don't I th- know. There could be there could be some ugly offensive possessions tonight, man. I, I think what what maybe stands out to me as being an even bigger concern for this team is when you think of the buyout market. Now, granted, the Sixers cap wise, not in a great position to go out and make any kind of a real splashy signing right I think they have just under three million dollars in cap space uh right now this Sixers team wasn't a team that players seemed to want to go to like where did some of the top guys go they went to the LA teams they went to Milwaukee they went to other contenders and and like this Sixers team was built in the offseason in a way that we all kind of questioned if it was a smart tactic to go all big all the time and typically the rebuttal to that was all right well the Knicks went and and picked up most of the ancillary pieces that you would have hoped the Sixers would have been able to get on the cheap as decent bench pieces but just wait till the buyout market because the Sixers had success in it a few years ago with Marco Bellinelli and Ursan Ilyasova which every national pundit talks about ad nauseum every time the Sixers are on national tv but like the the point does stand this team didn't go out and attract anyone in the buyout market. And so when you're looking at where does this team get scoring, that that's a place that you see these other teams manage to go and make those moves along the periphery. And like that to me is a concerning trend because not only does it say that those players 
might have wanted more money elsewhere, but it, it also says that it doesn't seem like difference makers on the buyout market believe that this team is a contender. Yeah, well, that's enough about the Sixers. Uh, you want to do the hot takes? Yeah, let's do takes? the hot takes. Yeah, I'm sorry. The Sixers just like have exhausted me to the point of like I, I don't – I, I don't know if it's it's just like been an emotional like roller coaster. I feel I feel like it's like up and down. I feel like I've been on uh, the what's what was the big uh, roller coaster at Dorney Park back in the day, the wooden one, Hercules. I feel like it's just I've just been riding Hercules the entire Sixer season. Anyway, I did another column for the site today, uh, part five of the fifty hot takes column, which is only about fifty percent serious, by the way. But I do I do believe most of them. I probably believe eighty five percent of these. The other 15% are just kind of filler, a little bit of filler. But there is some truth into, okay. into those. So uh, let's just go top to bottom here, and we'll pick out the ones. Uh, I'll pick out the, the best ones, and we can figure it out. Number one, running is boring. I, I mean, I don't I don't get it. I can't just run on a treadmill or go out, go outside and run on the sidewalk. I got I to gotta be doing something. I have to be, like, dribbling a ball or kicking a ball. Um, the Peloton is haughty, Agreed. snooty. Yeah. Just something elitist about the Peloton, isn't there? There is. Look at me. I'm on this fancy bike, and I have an instructor here, and there's video. And doesn't it go up and down? It moves up and down. Lennox, I want to know from you. Like, are you like I'm trying to picture right now, Kincaid in his Fishtown home, on a Peloton, <laughs> with his voice just saying, "Is this really supposed to motivate me?" That's the best you got. Why do, why do you have to have somebody else? Why can't you get on your bike at home and just like kind of do your own workout? Why do you got to have somebody else tell you what to do? Is that are you supposed to be? Is that supposed to be like uh, you need the extra like oomph from somebody else telling you Am what I to do? Am I supposed to feel like Lance Armstrong? Because I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Number three, Philadelphia should have an XFL team playing at Subaru Park. Yeah, let's talk about that. Subaru Park, formerly Talent Energy Stadium, formerly PPL Park. Do you have any thoughts on the name change? Yeah, I do. Do you like it? I think it brings a lot more legitimacy to your team. You're well, trying to Subaru is certainly a more yeah well-known brand than uh, Talent Energy. Can I be honest, though? And PPL. I think it would have behooved the organization to have Subaru as the kit sponsor than the stadium sponsor. Because for what it's worth, and we talk about this every year, Nobody wants to hear the story of Bimbo Bread. For, I had an for artist, the casual fan, uh, for the casual person who sees you walking the street in a Philadelphia Union kit, it says Bimbo on your shirt. I had artisano bread for the first time today. How was it? It was good. I mean, I like it's that. that I like that they went with artisano on the secondary the thick kit. Bread, but conceptually, you're still walking around with Bimbo. Yeah, Bimbo. Um, number four, Philly is not a hardworking blue-collar city. There's trash all over the place. People reserve parking spots illegally with cones and chairs, and half of the folks here don't even know or talk to their neighbors. I don't know what the talking to the neighbors has to do with being blue-collar. Well, I mean, it's just a well. It goes on more with the you could like, be a blue, brotherly you could love be a blue, thing, but a blue-collar curmudgeon. But not really. I mean, like, it, there's always been this indication that Philly is like a like a, a friendly, you know, community based, you know, hardworking, like, you know, inclusive kind of city. But, you know, I like I know dudes who just like shovel out the spot in the snow, put the cone there, don't talk to the neighbors, don't clean up the trash in front of their house. Like, we're what what really are we? That's not just Philly though. <laughs> they used to do that in Pottsville. 
All right. Pottsville. When you're when you're up there shoveling three Everything three, three feet of snow <laughs> while smelling the Yingling hops. If you're a real hardworking blue collar town, you know you'd shovel out. If the you're spot a real blue collar hardworking elder, person, you don't live. Instead. You don't live in the in the yuppie uh, neighborhoods where the hipsters are. No, I guess you live. You live in. Some of the suburbs. Take number six you live from Kyle. In the coal region. Uh, Kyle says that Wawa sucks. And here's a problem. Okay, it does. so number seven. Hundred percent. People people don't frame people don't frame the Wawa argument correctly. All right. Like nobody's coming out here telling you that Wawa is like uh Steven Star, right? It's not Vetri, right? Like you, you don't go to Wawa looking for five star food. You know, y- you it's not it's not supposed to be compared to great local delis. You know, it's about convenience, familiarity, you know what you're getting, all right? It's a quick and easy stop. Go live in a state that doesn't have Wawa, or even to your to your you know taste sheets, you know. Like go live in Georgia. I, I lived in Georgia for two years. I couldn't find a good sandwich. I don't want to live in Georgia. Um, when you have to make the case that like go change everything about your life and where it is mm-hmm. to make a case for something, that to me is where you've lost the argument. See, like I think that the fair no, way. No, it's about you don't. I know, think the you better, don't know what you have. The better way to frame the argument is. Wawa sucks relative to what it was X amount of years ago. But it's still good. It's okay for what it is. I don't care if it's not as good it's okay as it for used what it to is. be. It's still like in the marketplace. It still has a purpose. Sure. And that purpose is the it's same. It's convenience. Nobody was ever saying, well, we, where are we going to go for dinner tonight? Oh, I know. Let's go to Wawa. Like, it's People just, do that, it's, though. Well, that's another that, take. See, that's that going to me, be another take. That to me is the real problem <laughs> is... When people go out of their way and say, oh, I'm getting Wawa tonight, as if like going to Wawa is an exciting endeavor well, it's not supposed for to dinner. Be, yeah, that's, Wawa that's for, for the convenience thing. is great. Sheets for the convenience is great. I still think that Sheets and Wawa should have an understanding that they can coexist in the same general area because if you gave me the possibility of being able to go and get my staples over at Wawa, get my coffee at Wawa and then go across the parking lot to Sheets and get my fried goods oh my where they God. actually have a fryer like nobody cares that, that would be exceptional nobody cares about Sheets I don't get what the problem is listen right. you can't be so dismissive nobody cares. and and at the same time oh, be like sheets. oh you can't dismiss Wawa because no. Wawa is excellent it's convenient it's fantastic Sheets is as well they just they're they're both good at their own thing I don't think there's much overlap. To we be don't honest. have. You keep talking about sheets. We don't have sheets here. I think it's you got to go to like where out. is the nearest sheets? Like Route Seven Twenty Four. It was Birdsboro. Like it's like, it's like okay. Exeter so, now. I think so. Like ninety nine percent of the people listening to this right now aren't going to Birds Birdsboro or further anytime. They soon. should. <laughs> they should make the drive. <laughs> okay, take number go experience two. a fry. By the way, remember how you wrote oh, the thing about God. the burger and the fries? And you're yes, like, and yes. you're like, you're like, oh, you know what? You got to give it a shot. It was garbage, by the way. The reviews came in. Shocker. The place that doesn't have a fryer doesn't have good fries. Shocker. The burger's disgusting. That wasn't the that wasn't my take that you should try having burgers. All right, anyway, number 10. I want to fight you on this. Um, if you didn't attend regular season games as a credentialed reporter, you should be barred from playoff games. Can't stand it, man. I can't stand the playoff people, you know, who won't bother showing up you know, in October, November, but as soon as the playoffs come back, all of a sudden it's like 75 new people credentialed for the thing. I would love to see, uh, you know, a team say, nah, man, if you ain't here, you know, earlier in the year, then you're not going to be here now. I think you should also have to stay for the game. Like there are people, you know, of them, Mm -hmm. there aren't that many with the flyers now, but people who show up, they have the credential. They're there for pregame. 
they might stay for a quarter for a period and then they peace out and like that's it here's a take uh number 22 uh i don't think a WNBA team would do well here i hear people talking about it and saying like well why you know we're a big city you know it's a basketball town why not but i just think it's like the schedule makes it tough you know because they start in may and by that time, the Sixers are probably have just lost in the second round. You know, I think everybody's kind of worn out on basketball. Uh, you bump into the Phillies schedule; they're playing as well. Some people going down to the Union games as well. Uh, you know, you got vac- vacation season, Jersey Shore season, stuff like that. And you know, plus, I mean, like anything that's outside of the top, uh, outside of the you know, quote unquote, four major sports or whatever, uh, always just has trouble kind of latching on here. You know, uh, you know, if you look at the gap. I think we'd all agree that the gap between the Flyers, if we're saying the Flyers are like the fourth biggest four for four team here in Philly, I think the gap between the Flyers and the Union, if we're, I think we'd say the Union are probably number five, I think that gap is still pretty significant. So imagine going from like the Flyers to like the Soul or the Wings or a WNBA team or an NWSL team or something like that. I just think it would be an uphill climb, you know? I, it just, listen, I, I don't mean this in a, in a bad way. The WNBA, I think, has a bad rep, right? Just just in general. Like, when people think of the WNBA, they think, why do I want to go see a sport where I'm watching people who don't have the athletic upside of the men? I think there there is a case to be made in soccer because you see the way that the game is played at the national level. You see the interest there. Like, mm-hmm. So I, I understand why people might say, hey, Philly could support an NWSL team. I could even see... To some extent, like you would probably get a decent chunk of the Flyers fan base and the hockey fan who would say a women's hockey league, if if they ran it in conjunction with the Flyers, almost as like a, a like a partner club, like you see, mm-hmm. you know, Man City doing with with their women's team, like maybe that would be successful. Oh, I just yeah. don't think yeah, that yeah. the I don't see a path here. No, it's like the other thing too. You know, it's it's like a niche, like right? You say like you say, uh, you know, pe- people would make the argument like, well, why would I watch women's basketball if I could watch men's basketball? Well, I mean, people would choose to watch Villanova, you know, and Temple and the other you know big five teams in the city, and that product is not as athletic or you know as inter- or I'm not interesting, but it's not you know the level of play there is not what it is for the NBA, but they watch that you know on on their own. Uh, people watch the Union Union. The level of play in MLS is not the same as EPL, but they widely support those too. But I just think I think it's more about like I, I think you get into like <clears throat> like basketball fatigue by the time the schedule comes around. It's just like I, I don't know, like there's just like a like a saturation here, which just it's hard for those sports to kind of latch on sometimes. Um, Thirty-seven, uh, saying that boxing is better than mixed martial arts is misguided. Uh, and MMA MMA is literally boxing plus everything else. Like it 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 literally is the natural evolution of boxing boxing is striking and footwork mixed martial arts is striking footwork uh jiu-jitsu muay thai grappling wrestling it's it's literally like an expansion of boxing i'm not sure why there's a split between boxing and mma people and this take came up because you had the great uh fury and wilder fight this week and i also had paul felder philly's paul felder uh, who fought this weekend too but i enjoyed the mma fight uh, 10 times more than the boxing match did you watch the the Fury Wilder match? Yeah. So, did you see what Deontay Wilder's most recent excuse was? Oh, he, it was the his legs were tired because of the costume he was wearing. Yeah. Well, so, I can find a way to get so around f- that. So, for those who uh, don't wear the costume, for those who missed it, Deontay Wilder came out wearing this ridiculous 
over the top skull laden thing and like i get it he's he's the bronze bomber he's they worn the mask they went in, they went into the story of like why he wears the mask which i thought was cool i hadn't watched a deontay wilder fight before so i didn't gervonta gervonta davis comes out looking like a like a purple gritty like wearing this like like goofy stuff they all it's just like a boxing thing you know but like the idea that he's gonna blame his performance on wearing that heavy costume and he I mean, didn't like his they, corner throwing the towel in, which is just like I mean. Listen, you're yeah, bleeding I, I, from you're bleeding from the <laughs> ear. You didn't have your legs under you for the last yeah, three rounds. Yeah, at he least. was done. He was done. Yeah. He's lucky that he didn't have like a brain hemorrhage. He's lucky he didn't end up paralyzed. Yeah, like, he's the guy I mean? who like, talked about catching a body in the ring too, which uh, is ironic. How did you, you feel know, so. about Tyson Fury going Shakira on uh, on Wilder, licking the blood off? What what is it with boxing and always having these kinds of like quirky things? I mean, you had the Mike Tyson ear, you got the blood licking, uh, you got the goofy outfits that they come in. But it's just like, the in a way, like I appreciate the crazy like like goofy pageantry of some of all that stuff. But uh, you know, you don't. I mean, you don't have uh, why. Why did that not make it to MMA? You know, like you know, the, in MMA they just walk in the ring. You know, they put they put the you know the gel on their, on their over the eyelids and stuff like that. It's just I don't. I don't know why boxing has one thing. It's boxing is like the wing bowl, and MMA is just like the Sixers entering. Listen, the, when I the, when I saw Tyson Fury coming out on the throne, I was absolutely beside myself. Like it. <laughs> it was. It was almost up there with when he came out at Crown Jewel in the WWE pay per view in Saudi Arabia, when uh, he fought Braun Strowman. Oh yeah, a little <laughs> wrestling knowledge there for you. We're going like ten for ten. It is. It is kind of funny to me though to see like. I, I view it more as like boxing has taken on the pro wrestling pageantry in these intros. But there's like and a, I'm like I'm totally here for it. But you're right. Like it is kind of interesting that that the MMA guys don't get into. It. Like do you it, get the Do you get the sense? Let me ask you this. Do you get the sense that there's like a generational split between people who like boxing and people who like MMA? Because yeah. like my dad and my uncles grew up watching Mike Tyson and you know Evander Holyfield and George Foreman and stuff like that. And then when boxing went through this big lull, you know, over the last like probably 10, 15 years. When people like you and I were in our twenties and stuff like that, I think the more famous names in combat sports were Ronda Rousey and Conor McGregor, and even like you know Chuck Liddell and Tito Ortiz and stuff like that. And I, feel, I just feel like I feel like younger kids can relate more to MMA, whereas boxing, I I, I think like some of the older folks like want to protect like the sanctity of boxing Boxing's because baseball. it was great when they were yeah 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 boxing and baseball have the same kind of. Like it's this is what we grew up with. This is what we like. There's nothing wrong with it, even though maybe younger people aren't identifying with it as much as the thing with MMA is like the the only time I don't like it is when the guys are on the ground just grappling because I get that like technique wise there there's a reason for doing that. I also don't like the wrapping up in boxing like all the the times that we saw Fury get on Wilder and and I uh, did like that yeah, yeah, on yeah, the yeah. telecast they were talking about the fact that like he's just throwing his his weight on Wilder. He's just that's another way to wear him down, which. I guess like in the few boxing matches I'd watched before that, I hadn't really thought of that as a strategic move. But there was something about that fight where I, I, I don't know if you felt like this, but like Wilder comes in with 41 knockouts. And my thought was, man, like Fury's been on him this entire time. But what if Wilder loads up that right hand? And like what if he somehow in like a rocky moment just goes out and lands one? And ends the fight. Like, what an amazing story that yeah, would have Yeah, I mean, in the first fight, he knocked him down twice. So, yeah, yeah I, I don't know. It's it's uh, interesting. I, I, I kind of prefer when MMA does go to the ground, but when, with, with a purpose, because 
you know, you have a lot of guys in uh, MMA who are just strikers. So if it's glorified boxing, then it kind of defeats the purpose, you know. Um, that's why I always liked watching guys like uh, like Demi and Maya, even though he was boring in the stand-up. I mean, he was like the best jiu-jitsu guy on the planet. And, uh, you know, this to see the contrast of styles. I, I used to be one of those dudes who thought that MMA was stupid because it's just like guys beating each other's brains out. And it was just like a bunch of like – like knuckleheads going to the bar and saying like, "Oh, we want to see somebody get their butt kicked or whatever." But now, but now I know what I'm looking at. You know, I understand the styles. I could tell you the difference between a, a darce choke and like a rear naked choke or whatever. You know, and uh, you know, you had guys like Eddie Alvarez who was from Kensington, and you know, Paul Felder who went to Ridley. So you had kind of local tie in there. But uh, we well, had it's all good me tons of hot takes. Don't forget the hottest place in all of Bucks County to go is Odd Logic Brewing Company, located at 500 Bristol Pike in Bristol, PA. Odd Logic Brewing Company is a great place to go, especially if you want to see the fight. They had uh, Conor McGregor's return to the Octagon a, a month or so ago. They're a great place to go. And, of course, they have an exceptional variety of cream ales, double IPA, saisons. My favorite, the Hooligan Factory American Brown Ale. Plus, they've got handcrafted cocktails with 1675 whiskey and vodka. And, of course, they've got the cold brew coffee on Nitro available. I forgot to do my uh, Mount Rushmore of ECW wrestlers. We don't it's... have to. Uh-oh, Lennox is cutting us off. Oh, no. Sabu, Tommy Dreamer, the Sandman, Rob Van Dam. I wish I would have known that because I... All right, next week, we're going to fight about Mount Rushmore's of pro wrestling. Until then, <laughs> this has been Crossing Broadcast on 610 ESPN, Philadelphia.